You're listening to podcasts from the Congressional Internet Caucus Advisory Committee, www.netcaucus.org. All right, folks, uh, welcome to another Congressional Internet Caucus Advisory Committee briefing. Thanks everyone for coming for this recess briefing. We're going to try to do this really quickly in one hour and explain this issue from, from a pro and con perspective. The, the briefing that you've walked into, at least in one place, is the new FCC privacy rules for broadband providers. What will they mean for privacy? And um, this is hosted by the Congressional Internet Caucus Advisory Committee in conjunction with the Congressional Internet Caucus itself, which is chaired on the House side by Congressman Bob Lett and Congresswoman Anna Ashu, and is chaired on the Senate side by Senator John Thune and Senator Patrick Leahy. So we are super supportive. Uh, appreciate their support and the fact that they allow us to put these briefings in conjunction with them um, in, a, in a fair and balanced way, um, and, and their their ability to say we don't care, we don't care where our perspectives are, but we just want to actually have a good debate, pros and cons on, on these issues, and, and let you know, congressional staff decide uh, what, where they come on the issue. So um, before I get going, just a, a few little bits of housekeeping. If you're if you want to follow the conversation on Twitter, the hashtag for today is private. Hashtag private FCC privacy, that's pound FCC privacy, and you can follow us at, um, at NetCaucus AC, and that information is on your, on your list here. Um, we don't have any upcoming events, but we'll probably notice one in, in a week or two. Um, so, probably next one will be on the IANA transition for the Department of Commerce and Internet Governance. So, keep on the lookout for that. Um, let me introduce, we have, a, we have pros and cons on this particular issue, um, and let me just introduce quickly my, my panel. Um, right from the left here is uh, Jim Hopper, he's with uh, DLA Piper, which is a law firm here in town, and, and he's a partner there. Um, next to him is Debbie Maddies, and she's, um, Debbie is Vice President of Privacy at CTIA, which is a collection of wireless and cellular phone companies. And next to her is Katarina Kopp, um, who is director at the Center for Democracy and Technology, which is a great privacy and civilities firm, uh, nonprofit in Washington. And next to her is uh, Laura, Mo- uh, Laura Moy, who is a visiting professor law at Georgetown University Law School. And all their Twitter um, handles are on the page. Um, so why are we here today? Um, yesterday, the Federal Communications Commission, um, it is the Federal Communications Commission, um, proposed a rule um, governing privacy issues related to broadband services and covering broadband service providers. They're basically updating a, a law from 1996, which incidentally is the same year that the Congressional Internet Caucus was created. So 20 years ago, um, the Telecommunications Act of 1996 was passed, which included a law covering the privacy of telephone service. Um, and also, uh, the Congressional Internet Caucus uh, was created that year. Um, incidentally, um, the top one song on the Billboard Top 100 was the Macarena. Um, <laughs> I, I don't remember what type of phone I had, but it really wasn't portable. Um, it was a very, very different day, and uh, the Congressional Internet Office was created that year to try to bring more attention to internet issues. So this is a really interesting um, uh, collision of old and new, and, and what are we here for? So um, the FCC had a notice of proposal we're making. They want to do a rule um, to update these privacy rules for telephone providers. Now what they're going to call broadband service providers. And our panel's going to kind of explain that and then debate the pros and cons of that. Uh, so we're going to go through a lot of material uh, very quickly. Um, the, the rules governing privacy for broadband service providers, and they include folks that provide your, your cellular service, not the phone itself, but the service that I get here, which is T-Mobile. Um, your, over your laptop or your desktop, which in my case at home is Verizon BIOS, but here uh, it's on the house public uh, Wi-Fi. Um, and, and so those are the types of services that we're talking about, broadband service providers, and those, these rules are covering them. So let's just go to my first question, and Jim arrived just in time. For, them, for the people out there who, in the nine questions, like, that name sounds really familiar, Jim Halpern, where do I know that from? And you're probably Googling Jim Halpern, the first thing that comes up is that guy from the office. Um, Jim, uh, just so we get this out of the way so you're not buttoned all, all the Jim is actually named, yeah, he's the inspiration for Jim Halpern from the office. That's right, and you'll find I'm much less uh, exciting than, than the actor. For what it's worth, I had dinner last night with the real Andy Bernard, who's another childhood friend who was in town for a World Bank co- economic conference. Uh, but let's talk about how this arose. Yeah, yeah. 
basically, the FCC has been trying to find a way to impose net neutrality requirements on internet access providers. And after a couple of uh, attempts, it decided to classify them as common carriers and, and uh, uh, just by virtue of providing broadband service. When the, C when the original CPNI law was passed, it, the internet access providers were considered independent internet um, information services and were not regulated at all by the FCC. Um, this new classification, but through a quirk in the way that the Federal Trade Commission law works, um, are outside the, the uh, authority of the Federal Trade Commission. So before this net neutrality order, Internet access providers were regulated uh, in terms of the same requirements as anyone else in the Internet ecosystem or any other business. It's just this FCC rule uh, changing the, the way that, it, that the service is classified for purposes of telecom that all of a sudden we have this change in authority over Internet access. Service. So this is an issue of the open Internet or AKA net neutrality. Right. So what is, um, what is the what is, what is commission proposing? It, it basically is proposing a privacy regime that includes notice, like telling people, consumers, uh, what uh, their, their privacy rights are, uh, choice, whether you can um, opt in or opt out or keep them from doing uh, that, that collection, um, and then security, which is like how you know I can keep my data secure when you collect it. So what what is what is the rule specifically going to look like, and what is um, the, the CPNI thing that we're well, Tim, we don't yet know the exact text because it hasn't been released, but based on discussions in public, it sounds as though what the FCC would do is to require an enormously long list of information to be provided to consumers by way of notice of what the data practices of the Internet access service is, and then set up a multi-tiered set of permissions, degree of, of opt-in or opt-out that would be required for the internet access provider to use information that it obtained by virtue of providing this service to consumers. So there would be a very unusual opt-in consent requirement for any disclosure of information to a third party, We'll talk about that and how that may be a little bit less unusual, uh, but certainly for internal uses of information for purposes, for example, of advertising or marketing. That would be sharply restricted unless requiring an, an affirmative opt-in consent, unless the uh, marketing was for something that was related to communication service, so an existing service that the consumer required. There would be an opt-out for that sort of marketing. Um, so the, the default rule would be opt-in with a, a, an opt-out uh, uh, rule in place for marketing communication services or marketing those services through an affiliate. So if I could just jump to uh, Laura. Um, so what, for the average consumer home, what does this mean for them? What does it mean for their privacy? What companies are they interacting that will be, be covered by this rule? And, and kind of what is so unique about broadband service providers um, that we need such a rule. Okay, all right. I'll try. I'll try to take those. Um, uh, I'll try to. I'll try to get to all of those. And um, and just to do a little bit of background here. So before we start talking about consumers and exactly what this means to them, I think it's worth talking about what the objective is with respect to consumers of the law in the first place. So, um, you know, I think that this is something that we could probably discuss at length because I'm sure that there would be differences among those panelists over what the primary goals of the, of the statute are here. Um, but basically, the section of the Communications Act that governs um, the government's common carrier privacy, the privacy obligations of common carriers, which in the past were phone providers, now include broadband providers, um, essentially, it kind of had two goals, right? One was to protect the privacy of information that consumers have to provide to carriers to get service. So that's like, you know, when you're talking about common carriers, you're talking about companies that, um, where their, their primary function is to, is to carry the customer's communications from one end to the other. And, um, and so in that context, if you're making a phone call or 
um, or browsing the internet um, or using any online service, you have no choice but to provide certain information with the carrier about the traffic. So with a phone call, you have to provide information about the phone number that you're calling, the length of time you're talking on the phone, um, etc. And with internet traffic, it's, it's kind of similar. You have to provide information about uh, that enables the broadband provider to route the traffic from one place to another. So the customer pays the carrier for service and has to provide information about their communications in order to get that service. And one of the goals of the law is to protect that information, basically to, to make sure that the information isn't then being used for other purposes other than to direct the traffic um, or to direct the calls um, without the customer's approval. And then the other objective is a competition-based objective, where um, one of the, so the, the FCC actually for decades prior to, um, to, the, to the 1996 Telecom Act had been uh, regulating customer proprietary network information, and we hearing us refer to this as CPNI, um, had been regulating it on a competition basis, because there was this idea that if you have carriers that are seeing lots of information about relationships that their customers have with other companies by virtue of the fact that their customers are calling other companies, then it, there might be competition problems presented if the carrier can then use that information to, to give itself a competitive edge to compete in other markets. So a really good example of this um, is with an alarm service where if you're getting home security from one provider, then your phone company, if your phone company starts providing and offering a home security system, it knows who you're a customer of for home security. It might even know when you had an incident based on your call logs. Um, it might know how often you're contacting customer service with that other um, home security system, et cetera, and that, that could be information that you could use to gain an edge for itself. So these are kind of the two goals. So for, for consumers now, um, you know, the broadband has been reclassified as a common carrier service, again, the, the, the routing of communications from one place to another. Um, this means that broadband consumers uh, can expect to have a very similar privacy framework to what has been instituted with respect to, uh, to phone, to, to the information that they provide to their phone carriers. They can expect to have very similar protections in place with respect to the information they share with their internet providers. So, the you know, websites that you visit, um, the services that you're using, that you're in contact with, um, uh, the destination of your traffic and the, and the origin of it, the duration, the, you know, the amount of traffic, um, that type of information, uh, as, as Jim described, will now be subject to this sort of like multi-tier um, consent structure. So, so that information is, would be protected and the ISP would not be able to collect it. Does this rule apply to sites like Google, like Twitter, like Snapchat, or the apps on my Moto, Motorola phone and right. the operating system? Good question. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think, so just to address one part of that, though, this, these rules are not about collection. They are about, um, about use in general. So that, you know, that because there's an assumption that carriers have to collect the information, that customers have to provide it to carriers, and carriers have to collect it in order to provide the service in the first place. So yes, but that that um, that aside, no, these rules don't apply. That, you know, at least, you know, based on what we know about the proposal again, as Jim said, <laughs> we haven't seen the text of the actual proposal yet. But based on what we know about it, uh, no, it would it would not extend to edge services. And okay. you know, so the, so there are companies that provide both edge services and internet carriage um, and. When they are in the business of providing the uh, providing broadband access, um, then they'd be subject to the FCC's rules that protect the information in that context. And when they're in the business of, uh, of offering edge services, okay. So, so the rule that I have in my hand it wouldn't apply to like looking at my apps. Uh, wouldn't apply to my Fitbit app. It wouldn't apply to my Google Mail, my Pandora, or really operating system. This happens to be Android operating system. The other major operating system. That's correct. Right. Yeah. It would not. It would not apply to those other entities. It's just about broadband internet access service providers. Okay. So let me ask you know, whether Harry wants to weigh in this or you know, anybody wants to weigh in this. What is so What is so special? Like really, what is so special um, about broadband service providers? Mm -hmm. And is this regime similar or different? 
things. Now, as we had a briefing um, down the hall last week on the EU U.S. privacy shield, you know, we had a developer from the European Commission, and he's like, the reason why we have to do this kind of band-aid is because the U.S. has an inadequate level of privacy protection in our opinion, and that's being the European Commission's opinion. So what's so special of uh, this particular broadband service provider, and what do they see that's so special? Sure. So, um, thank you, yeah, for that question. I think the you have to look at sort of the whole context of, of this data. So it's not so much that it's particularly sensitive data, but it's the whole context. So a, a customer uh, who, who uses the internet at home or on the phone, um, a, there's a lot amount of data that is being collected. It is sensitive and detailed information, and there's really not that many options for um, a, a customer to, to sort of switch the provider or, or, or you know, you know, evade the situation. So um, it's the amount of information detailed and, the, and really the opportunity for the customer to not really um, go anywhere else. Um, and if you think about the whole, the, the, the kind of profile that can be collected about a user, um, you know, they, a lot of important inferences can be made about um, a user. So you can understand, for example, uh, the, the usage patterns. You can draw conclusions about whether somebody, for example, is unemployed because they suddenly start using their, their home uh, internet service uh, more frequently during the daytime. Uh, the, the kind of devices that are being um, connected to the internet again in the home setting, um, for example, a, a pacemaker or your, you know, your Fitbit. There's a lot of information that can be gleaned from that. So it's the it's the entire context that you have to look at. Um, I know that the FTC, for example, looks at the uh, the sensitivity of the data and, for example, says with regard to health information, you should um, it's particularly sensitive. Therefore, there's an opt-in required. Um, I think it's important to not only look at the sensitivity of the data, but then that's the next step, also the purpose of the data. So I think that's where we, I think, get into a little bit more when we talk about the, the proposed rules. Um, it looks at um, the, the, the entirety of the data, but then what is it being used for? Um, and I, I'd be happy to go into okay. that a little bit more. So let, let, uh, we'll, come back, we'll come back to the two points about not being able to, not being able to go to somewhere else. Um, and then also the sensitivity of the data, the uniqueness of the data. We can come back to that. But let's, let's go quickly um, to Betty and like, can we focus more on the mobile ecosystem because that's who you know, your, your members represent. Is, sure. Is yeah, so the mobile ecosystem, as you know, as Tim was just talking about, involves a lot of companies who are providing the service to you. The ISP is one of those companies that provides the connectivity. But it isn't always the same ISP when you're using your phone. If you think about you're at home, you might connect to your home Wi-Fi, and then when you're out taking transportation to work, you're on your network connection. Once you get to work, you might connect with your work Wi-Fi. If you go to a coffee shop, you might be on the coffee shop Wi-Fi, and you use your network connection when you're in a park because you have no Wi-Fi connection. So throughout the day, you're certainly using more than one ISP. And if you take a look back at the original purpose of the privacy law that we're talking about here, the Communications Act, you look at the voice services market, which is, you had really one phone company back in 1996. You made a phone call from your house, they delivered it to someone else, and that was the only company, you had two companies, and everyone that was within that phone services market was covered by the law. Here, by applying that same law to internet service providers, you're only applying it to a tiny subset of the number of companies who are delivering internet service to you. So. From the ISP's perspective, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And really, from a consumer's perspective, it doesn't make sense because there's a lot of confusion that will ensue if you have one set of rules that you have for ISPs and then other companies who are handling the exact same data, in some cases, even more data, because if you think about using your phone and you're bouncing around from one ISP to another throughout the day, you might be logged into some services throughout the day consistently no matter which ISP you're using. So if you have an email provider or a social network, you may be logged in that entire time so that social network email provider or search engine would be able to see all your activity throughout the day, whereas any given ISP would only see a, a fraction of that. So we have a difference of opinion between you and Catherine. Catherine is saying, well, there's the sensitivity of the data and it's unique. Uh, you're saying that, well, there's, there's, there's the data that the ISP would collect isn't all that different from what other apps or operating systems would collect. Right. Why would we treat it differently? Is that the yeah, I think, I, I think so. I think that, you know, the, 
the, the market has just changed so much. I mean, the, the smartphone has changed so much of the way we communicate. And while in 19, in the 90s, when we first got the internet, everyone had their home connection. You sat at your computer and you worked on the computer for a couple of hours. Maybe then you turned your connection off because you had to dial in, right? And now we have an on, always-on connection and you're seeing ISPs all over town. It's just a very different market. And there is a lot of competition, especially in the wireless market. Think about when you were watching Super Bowl, how many of those ads were for wireless companies trying to get you to switch from one wireless provider to another wireless provider. It's very unlike the market that was around back when this law was passed where there was a monopoly phone provider. And I think one of the challenges here is that in an overall Internet ecosystem where um, there is potentially tracking of, of users in a variety of different ways, Probably the simplest thing for consumers to understand is that they can go one place and opt out, exercise control. Just that's if you read the legislative history of the CPNI uh, law that Congress passed as part of the Telecom Act. The key concept was to give consumers control. Control can mean an opt out or it can mean an opt in. If you're in a market, there's a small percentage of markets uh, in the United States where there's only one landline ISP, if you have an opt-out, you can still object and, and exercise your choice, provided that's presented clearly. Similarly, with the rest of the ecosystem in the Internet, there are um, uh, uh, self-regulatory mechanisms like the Digital Advertising Alliance opt-out. One could work on that further and, sp and spread it, its adoption even more broadly. And ISPs could be part of doing that. But by, if, if this order goes through, ISPs are going to be subject to a unique, far more restrictive um, set of privacy rules than apply to virtually any other sector in the United States. And they'll be separated out from and not be part of a unified system where consumers would have control. And consumers may not understand, it probably won't understand, that the, op the opt-in request that they get from the ISP doesn't apply to anyone else in the well, Internet universe. I'm going to get Catherine and then Laura. And basically, if we can clarify what opt-in or opt-out is, opt-in is basically like uh, the ISP has to say to the customer, you won't look at the provide the service and uh, use this information in the following ways, and here it is, do you want this? And you have to do something, but basically it's like, yes. So that's opt-in. Opt-out is like, they're gonna, they do it, they provide you notice generally, um, and then if you say, I don't really want to do that, you can click on something that says, uh, exactly right. And it's, it manifests a lot of ways, but that's basically it. it, it this is an opt-in regime. Um, and and why, why should this be an opt-in regime? Can you defend those? Yeah, so let me, so I think, again, these are really important distinctions. Opt-in um, requires an affirmative action. Opt-out assumes you don't have an objection, which, you know, okay. So here, the, I think um, what the FCC right now is proposing, we know this from, from the fact sheet, so we do have some idea of what they have in mind, is sort of these three buckets um, with regard to the use of the data. So the first bucket is sort of this implied consent. You don't really need to ask the customer to do anything because you might need the data to use for maintenance or sort of security purposes. And then also um, for a service that is really sort of uh, for marketing, using the data for marketing for the same type of service that the customer already has. Again, no, um, um, no action is needed. So let's say you have a certain data plan and you need an upgrade for that. So no further action is needed. Now, when you then look to the opt-out regime that they're proposing, again, you have to look at the use of the data. So it's for marketing of communications-related services. So these are uh, the use of the data that you don't you signed up for a particular purpose now the ISP wants to market you related services it seems to make sense that you can expect that the customer would be interested it's related there's a certain expectation um, that, that makes sense to to say we assume you're okay with this until you tell us otherwise the, the third bucket really is for any other purposes of to use this data for any other purposes. So you, I think it's fair to say that you cannot assume that the customer is okay with that. 
and unless they tell you affirmatively, yes, I would like for you to tell me why, what other things you can offer me, um, and then I agree to, to that kind of practice. So I think you have to look at the, the, the purpose for the use, and that's really critical, um, and, and so I think that's a sort of a fair approach. So, yeah, I think it's interesting, because that, scheme, that kind of scheme is found, I, I don't think that's ever found anywhere in the rest of the marketing rules that apply, that apply to companies in the United States. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you think about um, a company that is offering you clothing and they decide to go into the shoe business or they go into a completely different business, they're sh- selling hardware or something, they are fully able to say, hey, we saw you bought some, some clothing and we'd like to sell you something completely different. And they're not restricted from doing that. So I'm not, I'm not understanding the sensitivity of marketing different kinds of products and services, especially when customers probably want to get discounts on different products and services that a company might offer. And an example of that was just yesterday or the day before, Sprint came out with a new offer that you can get Amazon Prime by the month as opposed to Amazon Prime for the year. And this would be a benefit if you only want to have Amazon for, say, the Christmas season. You want to have free shipping, for example, during Christmas season, and you don't want to pay for it for the whole year. Well, Amazon, or Sprint, would be potentially, I don't know, these rules are a little unclear. We haven't seen them yet. But they would not be able to market that to their customers and let their customers just know about this new offer unless the customer had affirmatively said, I want to get marketing offers from you. As opposed to saying, hey, here's a, a marketing offer for Amazon. You can get it on a monthly basis. It's you know, October. You're going to get ready to go Christmas shopping. And the customer can say, oh, gosh, I don't really want that. Maybe I'll, I'll tell them not to send that to me anymore. But a lot of customers are going to say, wow, that's a great deal. If it doesn't give them a choice if they have to affirmatively say back in February when they sign up for service that they want marketing emails or not because how are they going to know that the Amazon offer is going to be so great for them? So I think, yeah, I, I, would, I would challenge actually this, this argument that we don't have anything like this anywhere else um, in the U.S. privacy regime because, it, you know, of course, the, the most obvious place where we have a very similar framework is with respect to phone information, with respect to information that customers share with their phone carriers. Where there is a very similar, um, there's a very similar kind of key regulatory framework that applies to that information. Uh, the information that a customer shares with their phone provider, uh, that the, the phone provider has access to solely by virtue of this carrier-customer relationship, the phone carrier can only use um, on an opt-out basis for for marketing of, of related services, and it's on an opt-in basis for marketing of, uh, of unrelated services. And again, you know, I think there's there's a couple things here. So one is you know, if you're talking about what the you know what the privacy uh, justification for that type of regime is, well, again, it's, it's important to remember that privacy is context specific. Consumers feel that their privacy has been violated when they think that information has been used out of context, um, out of the context, or you know, in, in violation of the norms that they apply to the way that they thought the information would be shared in the context in which they first shared it with their provider. Um, and you know, we, and we do see in the phone, in the phone context or in the internet context, um, if we are a consumer is sharing information for with their carrier for purposes of routing traffic or for purposes of routing phone calls, they expect that the information will be used in that way, and not that it will be used for marketing purposes. We see this in you know other types of information or you know other other contexts where consumers have no choice but to go through a particular provider for a service that we think is generally essential, like health. Um. Well, let, let's 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 unpack that a little bit. Right. It's weird. in the United States we have this kind of patchwork. I don't know. I'm not saying that in a negative way. But we have different types of regimes for different types of privacy. Um, so, for instance, in Congress, it passed the CPI law back in 1996, which is being updated now. We have in the past very much Blatty that covers financial information. We have HIPAA, uh, the Health Information Privacy Act. We have, and, and those those related to just generally um, non-internet um, types of data. Really, the only um, major legislation that we have related to internet privacy is the COFA, which is the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. And that's data about kids online. Um, that, that's very specific. And then lastly is an overlay. Uh, Jim mentioned this earlier, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not the expert here, you guys are. Um, we have the, um, the Federal Trade Commission Section 5 Act, 
So the Federal Trade Commission can say, if somebody says, we're going to protect your privacy, we're going to do it in this way, and we're not going to give your information here, we're going to use it for this. If they kind of they make that promise and they fail to follow up with it, whether it's online or offline, the Federal Trade Commission, which is the other company here, um, can come in and say, you know, you didn't do what you, what you told us you do regarding the privacy, and we're going to slap $20 million fire. Yeah, furthermore, both the Democratic controlled White House and the majority Democratic controlled FTC issued uh, reports on privacy with and the way that they thought privacy should work in the United States that established a bunch of best practices that are widely followed in the business community. Um, and both of those thought that there should be no choice whatsoever offered with regard to first party advertising. Not opt in, not opt out. The EU data protection regulation, which you heard uh, in the privacy law discussion last week, Europeans think is way tougher than U.S. privacy law. It does not require an opt-in consent for first-party advertising. So w- this is actually this part, this first-party advertising aspect of the CPNI rule, is uh, would be the strong, toughest or most extreme, however you want to characterize it, restriction on use of data by entities that you, as a consumer, have a relationship with. Uh, in U.S. law if it were to go through without qualification. In the health context, there, there are limits, uh, and, and in some aspects, first-party advertising is prohibited. Your doctor can't come to you and, and say, hey, you should use this drug instead of that drug. They can put up signs, and, but they can't use your information to go propose that to you. But if you go to a hospital, and some of you may have had to do that for good reasons or bad reasons, and you enroll, you, you check into the hospital, you get marketing communications from that hospital because they know you've been to the hospital and they start offering you other sorts of services and other sorts of things through their hospital. Um, this would be a, uh, a limit only on offering essentially existing types of services that the broadband ISP currently offers to a consumer with some small types of upgrades. So to give you an idea of how that's different, um, or how that made sense in the context of the telephone network, which Laura was talking about before, as of 1996 when the Telecom Act passed, from what the way the Internet is today. You need to think about what the competitive purpose of the CPNI law, which Laura described second, but it, it really is an animated, you read the CPNI law, there actually are requirements on the incumbent carrier, the incumbent phone company, to disclose to competitors subscriber lists so that competitors can go market to them and try to get service or they can shift service over to if they choose to, to uh, sign up with a competitor. There are restrictions against trying to win back customers if, if a, uh, a customer decides to switch to a competitor. Um, and uh, the competitive concern, in, in, if you look at the original CPNI rules, is that the incumbent, which has all these, uh, your local telephone company, which had all these customers, would use that information to try to keep large control of the market. In the context of the telephone network, which was, as Debbie explained, a closed network, there was no question about advertising. There was no advertising over the phone network. This We're now in a very, very different world so, of the Internet um, where there is a lot of advertising, and this would effectively be saying only for this this category of people can uh, need opt-in to engage. So you're saying two things. One, in coming off my comment about patent, you know, different types of privacy regimes or different types of data, um, you're saying no fair that um, ISPs are held in this higher standard compared to the other privacy regimes. More, and more importantly, confusing. And then number well, two, and, and customers can't get the offers that they're getting from other companies. And then number two, the competitive environment under which the original CPNI rules were passed make you're saying, I'm not saying this, you're saying that they seem not to make sense. Well, let me just ask Katarina and, and Laura to respond to that. Yeah, sure. So with regard to the consistency argument, right? I mean, consistency and clarity. Um, I mean, CDT and and the host of um, you know public interest organizations active in this space. We have all advocated for a long time for, for the need for baseline privacy legislation for the entire ecosystem for all the players in this space. Um, but absent such legislation, which is 
unlikely to come anytime soon. Um, and with the FCC having that authority and, in fact, the responsibility to protect the, the privacy of, of broadband customers, you know, we feel you know they have to take that step, and that's an important step. And we'll see, you know, what what has to happen afterwards. But um, you know, that that's that's the the sort of the context we operate in, um, and we feel that um, consistency is an important goal, but it is not so sort of for the sake of consistency. We want to have the right protections, the right standards, um, that really customers feel that they have they have control over their data. And just to pick up on this control piece, I think we have to look a little bit at, at the evolution of, of this space, and we have, you know, yesterday the commissioners, all, many of them cited the Pew, Pew study that's come out earlier in the year, and there's another study from the Anna Hope School at, at University of Pennsylvania that really talks about how um, customers, internet users, have lost a sense of control over their data. They have resigned. They they feel that um, you know they don't trust the institutions in this space. So I think for the for the purpose of the robustness of the economic development and, and people really wanting to engage in with the technology, it's really important to give customers and, and users and citizens a sense of control over the data back. Yeah, the problem, though, is that if you give control to customers over a tiny segment of to certain companies that hold the data, when the data is flowing freely throughout the rest of the ecosystem, they're going to get a false sense of security, perhaps, that, oh, I've opted out or I've opted in to certain things, and that's going to apply across the board when it's not, because all those other companies, and not even just the companies that they directly interact with, like the social networks and the search engines, but the companies operating behind the scenes, the advertising networks that they've never even heard of, the data brokers, their operating system, they may not appreciate that the operating system that's on their phone is seeing all the data, and they're seeing it in an unencrypted way. The ISPs, as we talked about a little bit, I think already about unencryption, um, you know, a lot of the internet is becoming encrypted, and so the ISPs are unable to see any of the data that's encrypted, and at the same time, the other companies on the internet can see that data. So there's a real disparity into, it's sort of like taking a howitzer and shooting it at a mosquito. I mean, it's like a tiny little segment of the, pop, of, of the ecosystem, and all that data is going to go everywhere. So I have a, sorry, so a few things. One is, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely a, a desire by the companies, a, a, an understandable one, to, to try to make it sound like ISPs and other companies that are operating on the internet and collecting information and marketing with it are the same type of entity and that consumers have the same type of relationship with them. But they don't. I mean, consumers pay their ISPs for, to provide them with service. To, they, pay their, they pay their ISPs to get them connected to the internet. And then once they're on the internet, they make choices about what services they're going to use on, you know, online or on the internet or however they're, however they're using the network. Um, and, and, and that's, but the, as an initial matter, they have no choice but to go through an ISP in order to get onto the network in the first place. And that is, that is different. There's, you know, it's a different value exchange where they're exchanging money in a subscription, generally in a you know, subscription context, for access to the network, and that's what they're paying for. That's what they expect they're getting. Um, there is this difference in the fact that they have to go through an internet access provider to get on there. And, like, I can choose whether or not to use a, a free email service where I understand that I'm sharing information about my communications with the email provider um, uh, and sharing that information in exchange for, you know, for getting email for free. But I can't choose whether or not to build a relationship with an ISP and share lots of super sensitive information about my communications with them to get uh, on the network. I think that's really interesting. So what you're suggesting is, at least in part, and this is only the first part of what you're suggesting, is that we Consumers and customers and people using the internet have come to this convention of their expectation of privacy um, that um, if they pay for a service, pay for a service that they, they want to just get that service. But for the free services on the internet, like Twitter or Facebook or Snapchat, um, there's a built-in assumption that they're bargaining uh, for a free service. They're bargaining something. Maybe it's perhaps advertising. I'm not necessarily saying that that is always the case. I mean, I think that there are probably situations where people. I, I think that there, it is questionable in some situations whether people understand 
that the information they're providing is will just be used in whatever, you know, they, they clearly don't read privacy policies, they don't necessarily understand how their information will be used in exchange for a free service. But I do think that the relationship that they're building with their broadband internet access service provider is one in which they believe that the relationship is one where they have subscribed to a service specifically to go online and that's the service that they think they're getting. Well, Not an advertising service. Sorry, sorry. No, uh, Chairman Wheeler, he, he said in his statement that most of us understand that the social media we join, the websites we visit, collect our personal information, and use it for advertising purposes. So he's suggesting what you were suggesting, but you're not suggesting as strongly as he's suggesting. I, I mean, in some in some ways, it is an empirical question, but yes, I, do, I think in general, people probably understand more about how their information will be used, or at least at least consider it in the context of considering an optional service and considering to engage in an optional service than when they're engaging in a service that is essential. I mean, and I also think just on the point of first-party um, first uses of data, again, like, you know, these are, they're different types of service. You can expand, for, if you're a company that provides internet service and you want to expand it to advertising, that's fine, but you don't have a right necessarily to use the information that you've collected in the context of routing traffic in the broadband access service, um, in the provision of broadband access service, you don't have a right to use that information to build this other business. I mean, yeah, I you know, if you saw a health, a health insurance company expand its business into advertising, you know, start moving into whatever, start up an advertising arm because it's a giant and has a lot of money and wants to build, move into advertising, you wouldn't say, okay, yeah, go ahead and use it. It's, this is first-party use of information. Go ahead and use all the information that you know about insurance. Well, wait, so we're talking about opt-in versus opt-out. We're not saying they have a right to do it without any choice. We're just saying why should consumers have to choose specifically to get better deals on products that they might want to get? Why can't they just get the offer, and if they decide they don't like those kinds of offers anymore, they can opt out, just like it is for all of the other companies in the ecosystem. There's nothing, there's nothing unique about an ISP offering the deal than... So Uber has cars and they drive you around and all of a sudden they start offering Uber Eats. Should they have been prohibited from telling you about Uber Eats unless you specifically said, oh, I want to learn about food offered from Uber? It doesn't make any sense to me. So just in terms of framing the, the this debate that you sort of opt in to get better offers or additional offers, I think what a lot of the, the folks in the, again, in the public interest community and also the civil rights groups have pointed out that this data can also be used to sort of disadvantage you. So it, it's not always about you getting great new offers, but, but that there might be information given from you that might be used to your disadvantage. So that's where I think it makes a lot of sense that people want to have control over that. Well, first of all, the NAACP president has written saying that it didn't, did not make sense to focus on this particular area. Secondly, essentially, a lot of the advocacy for this proposal and even the logic of what the FCC has said is, well, there might be particular uses of information which are unfair to consumers, discriminatory, intrusive. The way that the F Federal Trade Commission approaches this is to say there needs to be opt-in for specific types of uses. Laura also equated an ISP just a few minutes ago with a hospital that, or, a, or a healthcare institution that opens a healthcare advertising network. That under the federal trade here, not equated, but sure. You drew an analogy. Yes, um, I did absolutely. Know. And and the point here is that if there is sensitive data that is being obtained through provision of internet access service, under the old Federal Trade Commission framework, or the, the framework that applies to the rest of the internet ecosystem, it makes sense for the FCC now that it, it now has done something regulatorily, which means that it rules this roost it should apply the same set of standards for uh, which would be opt-in for uses of health data, a prohibition against use of information in a way that would discriminate against consumers. Probably if there was analysis of absolutely all the data that, that traveled through a system, that might also be worthy of opt-in consent. But instead, what we're seeing in this proposal is opt-in consent is the requirement for all of these buckets of uses, regardless of whether there's any health data, any discrimination, anything else. So I think we need to take that off the table for purposes of the purpose of this, because it would be much more narrowly tailored and precise to focus on things that actually might cause some consumer harm. 
From what we know about this proposal, it also applies to not information that contains your name, but information that could be used to identify you. Um, so it's very, very broad. All the data that, that an Internet access provider might have, it might be linked to your account, even if it is not, in fact, linked. And that's, that's a, a huge amount of information that would be subject to a lot of regulation. We're discussion service here, and I'm sorry we don't have that. I do want to drill down on two points, but I do, before we, um, I want to go to questions from the audience. Um, but before we leave, um, I just would ask you guys to try to explain what, go, what happens from here um, before we leave, and what, what is the role of Congress in this entire uh, rulemaking process, um, since they, they originally wrote the law. So, um, any questions from the audience? John? He's going to bring the microphone over to you, and it won't go through the speakers, but it will go through the network, so just talk away. Okay, uh, John Piha, Carnegie Mellon University. Um, Two of you have emphasized the, the, the fact that there are different rules for different players. Um, but the FCC, if what you want is the same rules everywhere, the FCC can't give you that. They have Title I authority over commercial broadband internet access providers. They don't have authority over Starbucks when they provide me internet access. The only way to get that is legislation. So are you calling... You know, the, the congressional staff in this room, are you calling for broad-based privacy regulation across all of these, or legislation across all these providers? So do you want to opt in for privacy or legislation <laughs> from Congress, or do you want to just be opt out of this FCC? <laughs> I, think, I think to be clear, uh, the previous FCC requirements, with opt, which can be placed into regulations, uh, under the the FCC's own framework, there's a proposal that was submitted to do that. Yeah. Um, there is nothing to stop the FCC if it's going to, as it is proposing in in its it's talking about regulating all information, not just CPNI that's received by an internet access provider. If it has the authority to do that, it had, certainly has the authority to go beyond the structure of CPNI and to replicate essentially the F the FCC framework with FCC. Uh, the FTC framework excuse me with opt-ins for use of sensitive data opt-ins for uh, prohibitions against uh, disclosing any information that might be used for profiling or for ways that might discriminate against data all that is within the FCC's authority if as it says it can it's going to regulate all customer information yeah, so, received from so there's, there's sort of two ways to do this just to answer your question you could pass legislation and and there has been support among many in industry to have one overriding privacy law to simplify everything in the United States and that's certainly not not all of industry is unified behind that but there are some but I do think that what Jim was saying is to, to harmonize it with the FTC's framework is, is a good way to go because the FTC's framework has resulted in very strong enforcement actions against huge companies, and I'm not going to name them here, but huge companies that you have heard of that last for 20 years and provide really strong protection. But at the same time, there's enough flexibility in the FTC framework, unlike what the FCC is proposing, there's enough flexibility to allow for all this new kinds of innovation that we've seen over the last 20 years in the Internet. And that's been the model that's applied across the Internet so far. And to try to pull into a very restrictive scheme where there's lots of very specific notices and very arcane choices is not going to promote any kind of... It's going to make it really hard to make innovation around ISPs. So I, I think that, that it's a serious question to ask as to how we want to move, what direction we want to go. Do we want to go more prescriptive for everybody, or do we want to have a flexible system that has served this country very well, especially as compared to other countries that maybe haven't had as much innovation, they don't have Silicon Valleys? It's, like a, it's a question that's going on, in my view, for at least 18 years, yeah. certainly, um, very, very strongly. And, and let me ask, let me, before we read John's question, let me go to Katarina. Um, and John suggested that aren't you, why don't you just go up to the Hill and ask for you know, privacy regulation across the board and be opt-in with the Center for Democracy and Technology Support um, uh, omnibus um, privacy legislation on the Hill would be opt-in or opt-out. Well, we've, we've been on the record, sorry, we've been on the record, of course, that we would uh, support um, uh, baseline privacy uh, legislation, and I think we would have to look again at the particular context um, of, of the data and the purpose of the data, um, whether that's, you know, whether it's often or not, it would have to be, you know, differentiated. So, if, and if I can just add, so I think it, it's, it's worth noting here that these are not mutually exclusive options, right? 
right? I mean, it may be it may be the fact, and I would argue that it is the fact that it is appropriate to have high standards for internet service providers because of this special relationship that they have with consumers. And you know, it's a, it's a relationship where you want to encourage consumers to build this relationship, to get on the network, to be uh, to be to be willing to connect to, and then and then to consider the services that they want to use on, on online accordingly, but not to be afraid to take the first step to get online because they're uh, concerned about the, these possible practices that ISPs might be engaging in. And an opt-in framework is great for that because the default is privacy protection. Do nothing, go online, build a relationship with your, with your ISP, do nothing, and there will be very strong protections for, for your information, the information that you have to provide by virtue of the carrier-customer relationship. Information that you're optionally providing in other contexts Maybe it's appropriate to have a different framework, but not in this context. And that's not mutually exclusive with perhaps needing baseline privacy legislation to protect information that is sensitive, maybe is being used already in ways that, um, that most consumers don't agree with, and that maybe the FTC's framework uh, is not adequately addressing. That's, but, you know... Yes, and. It's not... Uh, you know, that might have made sense back when there was one ISP per person, but as I was saying earlier, we have so many ISPs and there's so much competition in the marketplace. Let the ISPs compete for this kind of business. So I mean, it's just so different now than it was back in 1996. I appreciate your point. It's just the market has changed so much. It is different, but no matter where you are, you are going first through an ISP and then on. Yeah, so you're going through a free Wi-Fi hotspot that's not regulated by the FCC, so they can go ahead and just use your data then? Because they're not going to be regulated by the FCC. If you look at what I mean, consumers <laughs> actually do in the course of a day, they access the Internet at work, they access the Internet at home, they access the Internet on their smart device, they may go to through a bunch of, of Wi-Fi locations. None of those entities has all that much information in in the context of the way that consume the consumers are using the internet today. You can draw a you're, you're, you were positing one uh, one internet access provider with a special relationship. You can think about how the, when I connect through the house the house Wi-Fi I'm, put, I'm entrusting my, the data that flows through unless I uh, put in a VPN. When I connect at Starbucks, same thing. Um, this is not the monolithic world of 1996, and I, I think you're positing a special relationship here is, is a, with, without a polling data to support it is questionable, okay. but also you, you have... Uh, in any given situation, if you if if you have a customer that's paying you a lot of money, you're going to be very cautious. And I think you see most of the ISPs being very cautious about advertising. Sorry. Um, and was that to your satisfaction? Any other questions? Any other questions, Wait for the. They may not understand what the offers are going to be. And like I was saying, so let's say you sign up for service in January with a new ISP, and they say, oh, would you like to opt in to marketing offers? And you're like, oh, I don't know. They say, oh, they're going to be really great marketing offers, but they can't specify what they are because they don't know what they are yet. And then back then comes October, and there's this great marketing offer for free shipping on Amazon or something, and they can't make that offer because you haven't opted in. Are they going to pass? I, I just don't understand how they're going to how the consumers are going to know what the offers are before the offers are even out there. And can I ask, um, I don't mean to hijack your question, but what is the practical effect of opt-in versus opt-out? I mean, we're throwing them around pretty casually yeah. here. And so also, how does it hurt to get an offer? I'm not. That's the other part that I'm not clear on, like just getting an offer and you end up not taking it. You get well, offers all the time. That's a question. I would say that probably in reality the, 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 the farms aren't getting the offer. Because I assume that if Amazon and Sprint are going together to offer this to somebody, they're doing it on the basis of some kind of data, whether it's, let's say, you're, you buy a high-end data package that you never use. Okay, then maybe you'll buy a high-end delivery package and a high-end video package to find both and not use it that much before increase the profits to Amazon, but some 
consumer could really use this wonderful per month thing for December or whatever, um, they're not going to see it. They're basically going to be bad line. Why do you assume that? What is the what is the interest in not trying to get as much of the market as you can? You want to get the part of the market that gives you a profit. You know that's why you use the data to find the part of the market. Presumably, they all would generate some profit. You're supposing you're supposing that there isn't an interest in serving middle and low income uh, consumers. If you look at the money that. Uh, and for example, Comcast is putting hundreds of millions of dollars to wire low-income um, neighborhoods well, so that they get broadband. But it could be something yeah. else. You just don't know what it yeah. is. I'm not saying that, that this is a wonderful opportunity for consumers. That's not my, my point. But to assume that there will always be nefarious conduct in advertising is is, wouldn't really be economically rational, and it would also it, it also would apply to the entire advertising ecosystem, of which ISPs are a blip. I mean, most of the online advertising, seventy percent, is by ten companies, and none of those companies are ISPs. Kevin and Laura Well, I just wanted to jump in on the opt-in. I think I am pretty confident that companies can come up with pretty creative ways to explain the the, the value proposition that companies why customers should opt in and if it's an opt in they will have to really make that extra step with an opt out you know you basically as a company you don't have to, to do a whole lot um, again the assumption is until the, the customer objects um, you can start you can market so I think I'm pretty confident the companies can come up with yeah, opt out well, sorry, sorry and if I can just add I think it's also worth noting that the, again, you know, this regulation that is Title II privacy regulation, the regulations that we're talking about that apply to internet, internet service providers um, or that, you know, are being proposed to apply to internet service providers. And again, this is all, we're getting, we haven't even seen the text yet. We're not quite sure where it's going to go. A lot of these are great questions that will be addressed in comments and in the record. Um, but this is, this is activities-based regulation. It is not entity-based regulation. And what that means is if a company is both an internet service provider and, an, and the operator of an advertising network, then it can continue to operate under the FTC's, uh, under the FTC's generally, uh, general opt-out framework with respect to privacy regulation in this area where it is engaging in advertising. It just cannot use the information that it's collecting from its, from its broadband customers in the context of providing broadband service that broadband customers are giving it to route their traffic for that purpose alone. It can't use that in the advertising context without opt-in consent. Okay. That's, you know. I mean, they, I, we're running out of time. Maybe has a really burning question. I want to finish with the last part. I didn't get to, there'll be, there'll be a lot of questions about um, how much can, and this goes to the heart of the question, is how much can, the unique perch that ISPs and broadband providers have with regard to data, there'll be, there'll be a lot of debate about how much can they actually see, whether it be because they're splitting up, people are accessing it on Wi-Fi at McDonald's, or they're, they're accessing the house with Wi-Fi, or then a lot of the data is encrypted. Um, that's, a, that's a question you don't have time for today, but that, you'll hear a lot about that one, and I, I will ask you to ask a lot of questions about that, because there is opinion. Um, and then the other one is that where does it go from here? I, I'm sorry we don't have the text of the, the, the notice of proposal we're making, but from what I understand, it's like 500 questions um, in the, the text uh, beyond what they're saying on the rule. Um, where does this fit? What's the process um, from here? Just really quickly, if I can ask a few of you to say, and what, what is Congress's role since they, they, they crafted the darn thing? Yeah, they, they did. Uh, so. You know, we're going to get the text of the rule shortly, I think. There's no consensus as to exactly when. Sometimes today, maybe, maybe next week, early. Um, and there'll be two comment periods, and it'll probably extend through a good half of the summer. And there'll be an opportunity for companies, consumer advocates, other interested parties to and comment on the Congress. record. And members of Congress to, con to comment on the record. Um, but Congress is, is faced with, uh, you know, a pretty... Fr uh, a, fr a fractured set of laws that apply to some companies and not apply to others that are holding the same data. So I think that Congress does have a, a strong role to play here to smooth this out and make sure that the data is what's protected, not um, just data that's held by certain companies. So we'll be seeing hearings over the summer on this and probably a lot more discussion up here in the Hill about those rules. Is that Yeah. Um, I'll let you have like one last parting comment uh, and really quickly on uh, 
One, one thing to think about is whether you're satisfied with, and your the members you work for, are satisfied with the speed and availability of broadband in your uh, congressional districts. And in connection with that, think about whether you want a unique, pretty burdensome regulatory structure to apply to use of data that's obtained through providing those services. And then think about how easy it is to set up an internet advertising business with almost no capital investment. And think about what that might do to investment in your district. Well, I'll just touch on the point that we didn't really get to, which is encryption. And this is obviously a debate that's much broader than, than this, because encryption is everywhere. But there is more encryption. And the more encryption that we have going forward, the less that ISPs are going to see. And the trends are very clear in this direction. So. Just think about that as you're thinking about some of the other larger encryption debates, how it's going to impact this proceeding, because to regulate ISPs more when they're seeing less and less every week because more companies are encrypting is, is a question that needs to be considered. I'm going to skip over the encryption comment. Um, but <laughs> this, uh, CDT is, you know, is, is really excited about this debate because we think this is a really important uh, debate for our society at, at large and that um, you know, I would encourage everybody to just sort of broaden this to your constituencies and educate people about these issues and get involved in, in, in this debate because I think um, it just really uh, touches upon some fundamental issues and um, the more educated we are about these issues, the better. So thank you for, for hosting us. And I'll, okay, as my final parting thought, I would give that um, I think that it's important for us to think about the justifications for some of the really strong privacy laws that we have, and it's to protect relationships where we really want people to have to have to engage freely with an entity and to have free and open communications, and that's why we have strong health privacy laws so that people will, uh, will go to their doctors and feel free to talk to their doctors about their um, about their health status. It's why we have. Uh, lawyer-client um, confidentiality, which, which many of us um, in this room, I'm sure, are well aware of, so that clients feel free speaking candidly with their lawyers. And it's a reason to have really strong privacy laws that apply to internet service providers so that people can take that step of going online um, and, and know that their traffic is going to be routed through an ISP without being concerned about how that information um, with that, I'd like to thank the Congressional Mayor Caucus co-chairs, Chairman Goodlatte, Congressman Meshu, Senator Finn, Senator Lee, thank the panelists, and thank